Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Time on with Sam Hargraves on SEN. The AFL's vaccination policy is official. We'll give you the details on all of that. And the debate about Dave Warner, we're only a couple of days out for Australia playing South Africa in their first T20 World Cup game. Should he or shouldn't he? Time on is all about your say on the news of the day. Let's crack in. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to Time On, where we recap all the major news points of the day, all the major talking points across the station as well. And it's just not complete without you getting involved. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I hope you've had as good a day as you possibly can in whatever situation you're currently finding yourself in, however you're joining us, wherever you're joining us. Welcome. It's great to have your company. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. the number to call. You can text 0433981116 on the Temper text machine. Temper, of course, is a mattress like no other. Heaps to get through today. Uh, looking forward to having a chat to you about it. Uh, exciting to see Josh Giddy make his debut today for the Oklahoma City Thunder against Josh Ingles uh, and the Utah Jazz. We'll talk about that in uh, the Sporting Capital after seven. I'll actually get Warwick Giddy on. Uh, Josh's dad to get his reaction to what would have been a very proud day in the Giddy household. Um, the AFL has now officially uh, released their vaccination policy, and there's a little bit to get through uh, in regards to this. So let me give you the, the finer details of it. Uh, essentially, um, the AFL will now require any AFL or AFLW player or football department staff member um, to be vaccinated in order to fulfil their uh, obligations of their employment. This will be done via a three-stage schedule. The first stage, already in effect in Victoria due to the government's authorised worker vaccination mandate, which requires players and footy program staff of Victorian clubs to be vaccinated. First dose, October 22. Full dose, second, fully vaccinated by the 26th of November prior to, be able, prior to being able to attend their clubs to start or continue their pre-seasons. The second stage applies to the AFLW players uh, and AFL football program staff and additionally the AFL players and AFL football program staff of New South Wales clubs, namely the Swans and the Giants. This will require them to have their first dose, 19th of November, fully vaccinated by 17th of December uh, before they can do the same uh, as those in Victoria. The third stage requires all remaining AFL players and footy program staff and AFLW as well. We're talking WA, South Australia and Queensland. First dose by Jan 21st, fully vaccinated by the 18th of Feb in advance of likely scheduled practice matches in late Feb 
and the commencement of the season in March 2022. The policy will apply to new players coming into the AFL and AFLW, including the upcoming draft. So what happens to those who do not want to comply? At the moment, we've only heard of one player who isn't keen to be vaccinated, and that's the Adelaide Crows, Denny Van Hagen, um, two-time premiership player for the Crows in the AFLW. So what happens if a player refuses? So the players, according to this statement by the AFL, released today, and we'll get to some quotes uh, from Andrew Dillon from the AFL in just a moment. He's spoken at a press conference where frantically trying to find the audio of said press conference. We'll bring you a bit of that when we do find it. Uh, the statement from the AFL says that players and football program staff that do not comply with the vaccination requirement that apply to them will not be able to attend club or AFL premises, including to train or play, absent a medical exemption approved by the AFL. In short, they will not be able to perform their contracted services for their clubs. We will get to the medical exemption in just a moment. That's a key piece of this. Clubs will determine then the action to be taken with respect to remuneration and the employment status of the football program staff that do not comply with the policy. So the AFL is putting it back on the clubs to police anyone who refuses to be vaccinated. And they've got four points of which they've got four methods at their disposal uh, to, to uh, they've got four methods at their disposal um, that they can utilise for people that uh, do not wish to comply um, with this policy. Uh, for players who do not comply with the policy and do not have an approved medical exemption from the date at which a player is no longer able to perform their contracted services, the clubs can transfer the player to the inactive player list, meaning the player can be replaced, and pay the player 25% for AFLW of their contracted salary or the CBA minimum base salary, which is a rookie wage. They could keep the player on their playing list, meaning the player cannot be replaced, and pay the player no less than 25% of the AFLW contracted salary or 25% of the CBA minimum base salary. They can terminate the player's contract with the agreement of the player, exercise any rights the club may have at law to terminate the player's playing contract, but such rights are not to be exercised prior to the 18th of May 2022. So... Those are the four methods uh, at the disposal for teams who have players who do not wish to be vaccinated. There is a medical exemption um, that comes to this, and it's in line with uh, the Victorian government's uh, medical exemption. Um, And I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, We'll get those details put up about the medical exemption in just a moment up on the screen here. Uh, Andrew Dillon, who is the AFL Executive General Manager of Football and General Counsel, um, has in quotes... Attributed to him, the AFL has undertaken extensive education programs across the clubs and industry in regards to COVID-19 vaccinations, and we will continue to be led by the government and medical professionals. The uptake of AFL industry people being vaccinated has so far been extremely encouraging, and we are very pleased the overwhelming majority of our players, coaches, staff across the AFL and the 18 clubs have at the very least received their first vaccination shot. We will continue to work with the AFLPA to provide all players further support and guidance through the evolving situation. Our policy delivers on our commitment to best protect our players, staff and the wider community so we can once again unite as families, as friends, as work colleagues, as teammates, as supporters, as communities, as one. Uh, from the AFLPA, Chief Executive Paul Marsh has said... In our conversation with the players about COVID-19 vaccinations over recent months, we have made it clear that the AFLPA believes in the importance of vaccinations as part of a safe workplace 
and, a commu- and community as a pathway out of our current lockdown cycle. In saying this, our view is that the vaccinations are an individual decision. It has, however, become apparent in recent weeks that unvaccinated players will not be able to fulfil their contractual obligations due to various state border restrictions and the new worker requirements in Victoria. Through our player meetings, players have been made aware of this, uh, may have been made aware that this was a possible scenario. Therefore, in working through this policy with the AFL, our focus was to agree positions that provide players with clarity, appropriate timelines for making personal vaccination decisions, an ability to review the policy should the government directions change and financially support those who make the hard decision to step away from their playing careers. The agreed policy delivers all of this. So that is uh, what we know so far. And I'm just going to get the details in just a moment of the medical exemptions, which I don't have up in front of me, um, which we will get in just a moment. I'm just (laughs) rifling through um, the... uh, the exact details in regards to the medical exemption, but that is a key component of this. So you will be able to apply for a medical exemption um, if uh, if you do have a legitimate medical reason to not be vaccinated, uh, which is a really important part of this. And this was inevitable once the Victorian government laid their platform um, for saying that uh, anyone who has agreed to be an essential worker that they deem to be an essential worker needs to be fully vaccinated to continue to be um, eligible uh, as an essential worker. So once that happened, you couldn't have a situation where the other states, that wasn't happening there. So that would have prevented players from travelling here. It would have prevented, it could have prevented Victorian players from travelling elsewhere, given border restrictions. So you just had to get the whole league uh, on the same page. The, The AFL cannot afford another season like the last two. In the first year alone, they were down $119 million in revenue, $22 million net profit loss. Uh, they've got the loan on Marvel Stadium at $500 million. The cost has been astronomical um, that they have lost. The, the money that they've lost has been, you know, extraordinary. And the clubs as well. The clubs are losing money hand over fist. Um, so at the moment, we know that Denny Van Hagen, the only player who has, has made it official that she doesn't want to be vaccinated, um, whether this will change her stance, not sure. Um, but she's been pretty vocal on social media, has attended um, uh, some rallies and things like that. Uh, Tom McDonald, who is vaccinated, is, has, has said um, in, a, in a doorstop that uh, he didn't think mandatory vaccinations were ethical. Um, and that was in light of what the state government had decided for essential workers uh, in Victoria. So when we get some grabs from Andrew Dillon, we will bring you those and happy to take your calls on that. And obviously knowing too that um, this isn't a place, you know, for conspiracy theories, things like that. Um, we're not looking to spread misinformation or anything like that, but that is a, sub- um, that is a substantial uh, announcement from the AFL today. And I'm sure you'll have a reaction to that. one 736 is the number. Uh, 0433981116 off the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. I'll let that resonate with you. We'll try and find those uh, quotes in regards to the medical exemption. And we will be back on the other side of this for time on SEN. Well, it's a pretty significant issue. And, you know, it's um, it's complex and it's difficult. And we've, you know, we've spent a little while working through it with the AFL. But I think where we've landed is um, is a fair situation now, our position for the for the playing group given the circumstances that we're dealing with. Like, everyone wants a bit of certainty at the moment, and I think, 
you know, what we've been able to build into this policy is, you know, some some key dates, um, depending on where each of the states are at. So clearly at the moment in Victoria, we've got AFLW players who are in their pre-season. We've got AFL players who are wanting to get into the clubs. Um, we need to give them some certainty. We've got players around the country in similar positions, but um, in other states, you know, at the moment, there's, there's really no COVID. So we've been able to push back dates for first and second doses yep. um, in the non-Victorian states, which we think is a really pragmatic outcome. We've also built in a clause here that if the, you know, if the government positions change, we have an ability to review this policy. So, you know, whilst at the moment, every player, um, the expectation is that they'll get vaccinated by these dates, if things change, you know, we can change with it. We've met with all playing groups, um, male and female, over the, the last month or so. Um, we've got a very good sense of it. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd be stating this too highly to say that we're looking at probably 99% plus players that will be vaccinated. So, um, you know, practically, this is not a huge issue for the collective, but for the individuals that are, um, you know, working through these issues at the moment, clearly it's a big issue. And I think, um, you know, we've we've had to negotiate that with the AFL. I think we've landed in a fair position um, for all sides, but you know, there's, the players still have an opportunity to work through their own individual circumstances, which you know we continue to discuss with them. CEO of the AFL Players Association, Paul Marsh, a short time ago on Sports Day, giving his view on the AFL's uh, statement in regard uh, the AFL's vaccination policy that was handed down today. I just went through the finer points of the statement moments ago, but the long and short of it is that uh, there are three different areas uh, over the country which will be working towards certain dates. The last of which is. Uh, February 18th to have all players uh, and football department staff fully vaccinated. If uh, people do not want to comply with the AFL's policy, there are four uh, options available to the football clubs who it has been put back to by the AFL to police this. Uh, they have four um, avenues at their disposal, including standing players down at reduced pay, removing them from their lists, uh, terminating their contract uh, as well. So um, all the finer points are up at afl.com.au. Um, Andrew Dillon from the AFL has spoken today. We're, we're trying to find that audio. It just doesn't seem to exist anywhere uh, that we're aware of at the moment. Um and there is a medical exemption, though, for players that have a legitimate medical uh, reason as to why they can't be vaccinated. The policy establishes a process for the AFL's consideration and where appropriate approval of medical exemptions using criteria similar to the Victorian authorised worker vaccination mandate. So if you have a legitimate medical reason as to why you can't be vaccinated, that will absolutely be listened to um, by the AFL and exemptions can um, be handed down. But I don't want to. Uh, won't be... Um, won't be accepted as an excuse not to be vaccinated. And the AFL just had to get to a point where they had everybody on the same page. Um, if players are, are very strong in their personal um, belief that it is just not uh, something they're willing to do, then um, there are those options, as I said, available to the clubs. And if someone felt strongly enough about it, um, I'm sure that if it was something that they believed in above all else and above their job and above, you know, playing footy, then they would step away if that's how much it meant to them. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. the number 433 There's a little bit of AFL news getting around today. Plenty to talk about in terms of cricket as well. Um, but this was a great moment today and one that we'll remember in Australian basketball as we sort of all strap ourselves in and get ready to ride this journey uh, with Josh Giddy. Push the ball up the floor. It's a tough Utah defense to go up against when it's set and it's Giddy. A nice glide to the rim. So Josh Giddy's first bucket uh, today, uh, he was able to take uh, 
uh, Bogdanovich uh, to the hole. He scored over the top of Rudy Gobert. His second uh, bucket that he scored was actually on Joe Ingles, which was uh, a beautiful piece of serendipity given that he, he said after the game that Joe Ingles was often staying up till 3 a.m. in the morning in the U.S. to watch uh, Josh's NBL games to give him some advice. He's been a mentor for Josh. So it's a, a beautiful moment for them that uh, his first game in the NBA was uh, against a guy that has been uh, a mentor to him. And it was a record-breaking debut. He might have, for some, they might look at the stats line and say, gee, four points, three assists. It's not uh, setting the world on fire, but they did get flogged um, by the Utah Jazz. So um, to be uh, equal team leader in assists is a, is a fantastic effort on debut. And his 10 rebounds. He led the team for rebounds. He's the first Australian to uh, lead a team in rebounds on debut, and it was the most rebounds ever for a uh, Oklahoma City Thunder player on debut as well. Uh, in the end, the score line, probably not one that he'd want to remember, 107 to 86, the Utah Jazz, Joe Ingles, uh, was, uh, had a very, very good game. Um, his numbers uh, on the box score, as I just bring those up, uh, Joe Ingles today, Coming off the bench, 14 points. He was four from seven from outside the arc. Uh, had three assists and three rebounds as well. Uh, I'll take you through the other scores too uh, as we go through uh, on the uh, on time on. As my <laughs> Jeez, I tell you what, I love computers. They, they just never quite work when you want them to. And they're always fantastic when it's not that urgent, uh, that they do. So I'll take you through the other scores in just a moment as well. Major League Baseball as well. But um, Warwick Kitty's going to join me um, after 7 o'clock. Um, the father of Josh, of course, an NBL legend. And we'll get his view on what would have been a really special day for the family. Uh, in other scores today, Pacers 122, Hornets 123, uh, Bulls 94 over the Pistons 88. Uh, Celtics 134 were knocked off by the Knicks 138. The Wizards 98 over the Raptors 83. Uh, the Grizzlies, 132 over the Cavaliers, 121. Alex, who's bombarding me with texts, uh, so much so that uh, I can't see any other text from anyone else other than you, Alex. So, yep, there we go. Your Grizzlies, great win over the Cavs. Congratulations. Uh, thanks for your contribution. Timberwolves, uh, 124 over the Rockets, 106. Uh, the 76ers actually were able to put uh, all the drama in regards to Ben Simmons behind them, 117 to 97. And I don't know if you saw any of that game, but at one point the Pelicans fans were chanting, where's Ben Simmons, which was rather amusing. Uh, the Spurs, 123 uh, to 97. Um, a big win. Big win for the Spurs, as I just have a quick look to see uh, Jock Landale's numbers. Jock Landale uh, played four minutes, uh, had one point uh, from the free throw line. He had an assist and a rebound as well. So congratulations to um, the, uh, the, fi- the, well, he was the MVP uh, of the finals last year for Melbourne United and uh, has got his chance with Greg Popovich after impressing at the Olympics. Uh, and he scored his first bucket in the NBA today as well. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. As I continue to just wrestle with this computer, uh, Nuggets one hundred and ten to Suns ninety eight, and the Kings one twenty four to the Trailblazers one twenty one. Major League Baseball scores today: the Astros nine to one over the Red Sox. They lead that series three two. The Braves nine to two over the Dodgers. They lead that series three one. Uh, everything coming up Atlanta at the moment in that series. Um, last night, you would have uh, heard by now that Australia lost uh, their warm-up game against India in the T20 World Cup, which um, they've got another one. Uh, sorry, they've, so they've lost their two warm-up games to New Zealand uh, and now to India. 
Dave Warner is uh, high on the agenda uh, today, and I'll play Jared Waitley's comments in just a moment. But uh, they were three down for 11 runs on the board. Middle order got them up to five for 152, which was never going to be uh, enough. Uh, Dave Warner edged... Um, uh, Ravi Ashwin uh, for a solitary run from seven balls. Um, he was didn't edge Ravi Ashwin. He was caught in front. LBW by Ravi Ashwin. Um, and this was Jerry Whateley today uh, talking about Dave Warner and whether or not he should or shouldn't be opening the batting for Australia at this T20 World Cup. Are you sticking with Dave Warner in this tournament or recalibrating, accepting that on all available evidence, it's doomed to fail? It's too late to drop Warner, isn't it? If he's dropped on the eve of the tournament, there's a very real risk that it destabilises the group. But it might be the right decision. And there's no crystal ball. All there is is a form line which reads 0-2-0-1 through the IPL dropped and then through the warm-ups. And last night, Warner looked bereft. That awful phase that a batter goes through where they look like they might get out any ball. And... And there was a hint of resignation as he departed. So you read body language and the eyes, however you like, but he was done over by R. Ashwin and he looked thoroughly defeated. When Australia last faced this moment in the Ashes series of 2019, when Warner was, he was thoroughly broken then, he was the proverbial walking wicket. The selectors stayed with him. They stayed with him for services rendered and they accepted that they would be one for not many. Can you do that at a World Cup? It's a leap of faith to go with him to gamble that he'll magically find form when the stakes are at their highest. But to drop him now, that's seismic. Potentially, it's not only disruptive, but it's destructive. Are you tearing up your plans on the eve of the first game and saying what we, what, what we were going to do is not going to work? And that's the trouble with selection. It's imprecise. And I find myself absolutely torn which way to go. I have the slightest leaning toward picking Warner and acknowledging that it's probably a weak decision. But if you get it wrong, it sounds like this, a procession of top-order wickets that give you no chance at success. I didn't like the way David Warner left the field. Did, did you notice that, Jared? Yep. The yep. demeanour, the look? I've seen that look before, and it was at the back end of the Ashes in England. Yep. But it was not until the back end. David's the most stoic and resilient of sportsmen, and one of the most resilient sportsmen I've ever seen. But there was just a hint of God. This has got, got getting on top of me when he walked off. And he was dragging. It was almost like he was dragging his bat behind him, like Lionel dragged his blanket. Yep. Um, that worried me. But Miller uh, also worried me that the Australian bowlers couldn't get a wicket. Uh, there's a bit to worry about there, but there are a few positives as well, weren't they? It's good to see Stephen Smith bat like that. So that was uh, Jerry Whateley today and then his chat with Pete Lawler, part of the SEN uh, cricket commentary team and chief cricket writer for the Australian. Dave Warner on the agenda. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. So Australia now one and one. So they beat New Zealand in their first warm-up by three wickets. They lose to India last night. Uh, Dave Warner's got scores of zero and one. Uh, in those games. You've got to go back to September 2020 when he last had a decent score uh, in international T20s, and that was against England where he scored 58. Um, dropped from the Sunrisers in the IPL as well. 
Um, and his record at World Cups, as good as his record in international T20 cricket is, averaging 31.45, high score of 100, um, he's made uh, 1850s as well. As good as that record is, and he's played at five World Cups and has played uh, at the sec- had played the second most games in T20 World Cup cricket behind Shane Watson, his record at World Cups isn't fantastic. Um, he averages 21 at World Cups in 23 games, 473 runs uh, at an average of 21. His average is the 13th best for Australia at World Cups. And it's a, that is a bit of a concern as well. His record in the UAE isn't great either. He's only got a handful of runs at games that have been played in the UAE, and that might not be too much of a cause for concern. But I reckon one of the reasons really why, as Jared would say, you, there might not be another option for Australia is that whilst Dave Warner hasn't been opening at T20 level internationally for Australia, we've had six other people attempt to open up the batting. Now, Finch, you lock in. Uh, Finch's record is still fantastic. He's still the sixth-ranked uh, T20 batsman in the world internationally. But we've actually tried Wade, Phillippe, Short, McDermott, Christian, and Carey. And over that time, Matty Wade's the best performed of those in 13 games. So there's 18 games where we've looked to try uh, other options and had other people in those opening positions. Wade's average is 21.46 in 13 games, and that's massively boosted by um, uh, an 80 um, against India in 2020 in that three-game series. Um, his next best score is 58, and he's got a 33 as well. But if you take out that 80, it's pretty slim pickings. Phillippe's been tried there in four games and averaging five. Finch has been averaging 32 in his last 12 games, so he's absolutely fine. But when you look back, you know, they tried they tried uh, Carey. He got a duck and 11 against Bangladesh. They've tried McDermott. McDermott uh, played two games against Bangladesh and made 35 and five. Isn't part of this World Cup squad. So there really might not be any other option. If you look at the form line in international T20 cricket, we've had 18 games to try and get somebody to put their hand up for that position. And no one has. It's sort of like when you're a kid, you deliberately do a bad job of chores so that you wouldn't get asked to do them again. Now, I'm not saying that the players deliberately didn't try. I'm being facetious, of course, but nobody grabbed that opportunity with both hands. And yep, that tour of the West Indies where we lost the series 4-1 and 4-1 to Bangladesh were pretty disastrous. Um, and we had a we had a 3-2 series loss against New Zealand in New Zealand before that series. And then a 2-1 series loss against India um, in, a se- in the series before that. So our form line going into this isn't great. 1-300-736-736. Do you have... Do you have the solution for Australia's opening batting conundrum? one 736 736 is the number. We'd love to get your thoughts on that. There's some AFL news uh, as well kicking around today. I'll get you up to speed on that on the other side of this as well. 0433981116 off the temper text. Temper, uh, a mattress like no other. There's a heap of those coming through. I'll work your way through those on the other side of this. Australia's campaign in the T20 World Cup in the UAE starts in earnest on Saturday night from 9pm. Myself and Darren Chuck Berry will be able to take you through all the action and we are very proud to be bringing you the T20 World Cup on SEN. You'll hear every game of it on here. 
in one way, shape or form. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. after a couple of failures in a row in the warm-up games and a pretty lean trot in the world of uh, T20 cricket. Dave Warner, should he or shouldn't he open, is on the agenda. And if not him, then who? Because in the 18 games previous where he hasn't been playing at international T20 level, nobody has put their name up in lights. The best performed is Matty Wade, averaging 21.46 in 13 games. That average is really boosted by a score of 80 uh, against India in 2020. So if not Warner, then who? one 736 736 is the number. Brendan's in Hopper's Crossing. Hello, mate. How you going, buddy? Yeah, good. What do you think? I reckon uh, Smith through the open with whether it's Finch or Warner, but Smith accumulates runs. Mm. And then you have Finch, Warner, Maxwell, Stoinis doing what they do at the other end. So who then plays the anchor role in the middle order? Well, I think Smith would stay there. So who yes, opens? He might get out early, but if that happens, that happens. But that's no different to anyone else. Do you not? Would you not think, Brendan, that his skill set is more suited to playing the the anchor role, working the ball around in that middle order? I mean, it just seems to be too important to take out of four or five. And you heard Adam Gilchrist last night say that you know. Maxwell four, Smith four, or either one of those four five. It just yeah, seems to be he's too, too important. Late. So who do you replace him in in four or five that's, with? But that's too late. Who do you replace him with in four or five? Um, that I haven't thought <laughs> of. But it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one, Brendan. Yeah, it is a tough one. It is a tough one. But I, I think if he opens, he could hold the innings together from the very start. Yeah, I, I, I think it's... Yeah, sorry, Brennan, keep going. Your other guys going at the other end. Yeah, I, I, that, I, I would be very, very hesitant about doing that. I, I understand your, your thought process behind it, but I think you're almost robbing Peter to pay Paul, and I think you're paying Paul too much in the end, if that makes sense. Um, Marcus Stoinis' name's being thrown up. Obviously, he opens for the Melbourne Stars. The criticism of him is that he may chew up a few early balls, but once he gets his eye in, there's not many more destructive at the top of the order. And we'll talk to Darren Berry um, after seven as well, who, and we'll get him to explain what the opener... Actually, this is a great question that you've put on the table, Brendan. What type of player is best suited to being a T20 opener? And is that Steve Smith? So there's not many better tactical minds in the world of T20 cricket than Darren Berry. So we'll ask him that exact question. What is the skill set required to be uh, at the top of the tree, at the top of the order? What, are the, what skill set do the best T20 openers possess? Uh, you've put a great question on the agenda for Chuck, who's going to join us after seven. Uh, Mark's in Bacchus Marsh. Hello, Mark. Hey, mate. How you going? Good, buddy. What mate. have you got for me? Mate, I'm going to be a little bit controversial once again. Go but for it. You know what? I actually think when you think about it strategically, it actually makes sense. So I think Maxwell's the best batsman we've got. I agree. And, I, and I, from my perspective, you've only got 20 overs. And I believe he should be opening with Finch. He can set the pace of the innings, either for chasing, he can set the pace we're chasing at, or he can set the tempo for his batting first. So I'd be going Finch, Maxwell, Smith at three, Stoyness at four, Marsh at five, Kerry at six. There you go. Mate. You wanted you wanted to know well, who you swap with who? 
So you go Maxwell, Finch to open, Smith at three, Stein is four, Marsh five, Carey six. That's not a bad. No, it's not bad. No, it's not bad, Mark. I... I'm hesitant to take Maxwell out of his favoured position too because that's where he likes to bat. And I reckon Mitch Marsh is much better with pace on the ball uh, when with, with the newer ball. I reckon he's at his best. And his form over, he's been the only, apart from Finch, who's still averaging, you know, in his last 12 games, 32. And if you average over 32, you're in good company. Uh, if you're averaging th- over 30 in T20 cricket, you're in good company. Um, that seems to be a bit of a benchmark when it comes to the shortest form of the game. I I worry about taking Maxwell out of his preferred position. And, and Mitch Marsh has performed really well. I think he's averaging – I'll, I'll double-check his average since he's gone up to, to first drop in the T20 game. Um, but I, I think he deserves to stay there. Um, I think it's quite set with – I think you, you stay with Finch at opening. You stay with Marsh. And then it's either Maxwell or Smith at 4-5. I don't and – and I like Maxwell at 4 just in ca- because it, you don't want there to be not enough time left for him. So I think four's the right spot. Smith at five, but this opening conundrum still just rears its head, doesn't it? And could it be Matty Wade? He does it so well for the Hobart Hurricanes, averaging 21 in 13 innings, uh, opening the batting at T20 level. Um, yeah, it just there's just not a, a, a there's just and this is why it's so perplexing and this is why this is so much fun. There's not a clear cut answer, is there? You don't there's not there's not one thing that you can suggest at the moment that you're fully confident in. There's so many unknowns and uncertainties with it. Uh, Greg's in Roval. Good day, Greg. Yeah, hi mate. Uh, I reckon Josh Phillippe to open with Finch because he opens in his T20 and has an average of about 38. Um, and then you bring in um, your um, all the batters after that one. Philippi was fantastic last season, wasn't he? Um, Did you get that? Yeah, Hello? yeah, I've got you. You, you. Can you hear me there, Greg? Hello? Greg, you got me there. Hello. Oh, Greg, we can we can all hear you, mate. You just you just can't hear us. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what's happened to the the line there, but thank you for your call. I hope you can uh, hear me again. I appreciate it. One three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. Philippi's season last year was was sensational. So he can certainly, you know, he can certainly open. He just hasn't been able to take that opportunity with both hands. Um, last year, he made the third most runs in the Big Bash, averaged thirty one point seven five. He had three fifties, um, and had a very very good year uh, for the Sydney Sixers. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. I love that. There's a lot of love still for Chris Lynn, and yep, you're right. We we through shoulder injuries and maybe just not enough faith being shown in him by selectors. Yeah, we never really got to see a sustained run of Chris Lynn in international T20 cricket. There's not many more destructive in this form of the game than him. And if you look at his BBL record, it's uh, far and away the the best uh, that we've seen in our local. T20 competition. Uh, 1-300-736-736. Greg's come back. I, I, well, I think we did get you all, all of Mate. what you had to say there, Greg, but thanks for ringing back. No problem, Yep. Uh, you mentioned the stats with Josh Philippi. He opened uh, for the uh, Perth guys, uh, is it? I think for Sydney. Sydney Sixers. Yeah, Sydney Sixers. And, um, mate, he's, he's powerful. Powerful. Yeah, he, he is. He hasn't been given a chance to open. So, 
No, he has. He, he has. He's been given a chance. He's, he's opened in four games of recent time. So he opened uh, once against Bangladesh, once against the West Indies. Uh, he opened once against New Zealand in that series. Uh, he's opened four times. Yeah, twice against Bangladesh, once against the West Indies and once against New Zealand. And his average in those four games ended up being 5.25. So um, it doesn't mean you throw it, – it doesn't mean you, you put a line through him forever – um, but it just hasn't quite worked so far, which is why. And look, he may come out, Greg. He's that good a player, and 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 absolutely wipe the floor with him. He's definitely got the skill set. But because he hasn't been able to do it in the four games so far, this is why this is such a head scratcher. Because there's no clearly defined answer to this question. It's it's going to be the most nervous element to what we're trying to do at this T20 World Cup. And there's got a text here saying, where are Australia ranked? We're actually ranked seventh coming into this World Cup, where uh, Bangladesh is sixth and South Africa are fifth, who we play uh, on Saturday night. So that just goes to show you how far down the pecking order we've slid with our performances in recent times. Uh, we've only won one, two, three, four, five in our last 18. It's not great reading. Damien's in uh, Frankston North. G'day, Damien. G'day, Sammy. Just before I get to the Melbourne Stars WBBL team, I'm looking forward to hitting the pub tomorrow night. Should good be good stuff, mate. You uh, just behave yourself, enjoy, but don't you get I into too do, much Sammy. trouble. I no, good work. <laughs> good work. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Melbourne Stars WBBL team. Um, sure. Had a nice win against the Sixers. Yeah. Um, but I reckon they're just lacking. Uh, I reckon that the bowling. Um, the, and the batting, what are your thoughts, Sammy? Too early to tell at the moment, mate. Just a, just a couple of games in. I'll reserve my judgment until we've seen uh, a little bit more. But I, uh, I I certainly respect your view on it, but I, I haven't seen enough yet to, to make a definitive um, call on if they've got enough in the bowling stocks at the moment. Rightio. Um, but, yeah, also, yeah. Um, and also, what about the men's team? Quickly as well, while I got you there, Sammy, picking up Joe Burns. Hopefully he's a good pickup. Uh, I think he'll. Joe Burns a ripping ripping fella uh, for starters, and obviously very very uh, accomplished uh, batter. Um, if he, I don't know if he's he's a he's a he's a very good he's a great addition to, to your squad. I don't think he's the difference between them winning their first title uh, and not, but but he certainly gives their batting uh, lineup uh, an increased depth. And 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 the beauty of a Joe Burns is. You can play him anywhere. He can slot into any position that you might need. So his versatility would have a real appeal. Uh, and he has had some really good T20 performances uh, throughout the years as well. Hasn't been a, a, a setting the world on fire type, but he's certainly been a consistent performer, an important performer um, for, the, for the Brisbane Heat over the journey. Uh, thanks for the call, Damien. Always great to chat to you, mate. Uh, when we come back, Paul Sebastiani uh, will be joining us Um for a quick odds update uh, and a couple of little footy stories making news today as well, which we will get to on the other side of this time on. Well, in all our, um, in us getting quite uh, involved in a conversation about Josh Phillippe and the merits of him opening the batting, the one thing I did forget, and it was remiss of me not to uh, point out to Greg from Roville, who is very keen on Josh Phillippe opening the batting for Australia, the one thing I did neglect to point out, and thank you for a couple of people that uh, have sent me the text, is he's not actually over there. Uh, he, uh, Josh Inglis is, um, but, um, but, uh, Josh Phillippe isn't, uh, Josh Inglis, uh, of course can open the batting, uh, wasn't doing that last year in last year's big bash 
with the uh, the Perth Scorchers, but did have a, a very, very good year. 413 runs. He averaged 34, high score of 72, uh, three scores of 50 or more. He is with uh, the squad in the UAE. one uh, A couple of footy stories kicking around as well. I'll get to them in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, it's time to get an odds update from Bet Deluxe from our man Paul Sebastiani. Paul, hello, mate. Very good evening to you, Sam. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, Cox Plate, Manicato, NBA. What have you got for us? Yeah, massive weekend. Uh, Cox Plate market. Zaki, the favourite with uh, betdeluxe.com.au at the moment. Uh, he's a $2.60 elect. But uh, money for the mayor, very elegant. Chris Waller and Damian Lane combined. She's been $7 into $4.80 with betdeluxe.com.au and Animo, the second favourite, at $4.60. And tomorrow night, the Manicato from Mooney Valley as well. Savatu XL, our $4.60 favourite, but money for number six in that race. Race seven, number six, Lombardo, has been $6 into $4.80 with Bet Deluxe. And Sam, you mentioned that the NBA, it's back tomorrow, 10.30 a.m. Atlanta and Dallas go head-to-head. The Hawks $1.69, Mavericks $2.18, and last year's champion, the Bucks $1.72 to defeat the Heat at $2.14. And the Warriors looking to go two and zip. They play the Clippers, who are without Kawhi Leonard, with a $2.34 cent outside of the Warriors, a $1.61 favourite here. So big weekend of racing and, uh, and NBA coming up, Sam. Can't wait for it. Beautifully done. Paul Sebastiani from Bet Deluxe. Spring racing specials every day. Serious betting for serious punters. Download the app today. Remember to gamble responsibly. And if it becomes an issue for you, call 1-800-858-858. Paul Sebastiani from Bet Deluxe. A couple of things from a footy news point of view before we uh, get into the sporting capital. So Phil Davis. Um, has uh, former captain of the Giants has re-signed for another year, uh, 31 years of age. He was the club's first signing in 2011, their inaugural co-captain from 2012 to 2019. 187 games since his debut at the Crows in 2010, including 11 games this season. In a quote from Phil, he says, it's great to re-sign and ensure I'll finish my career at a club I'm so proud to have helped build. Um, so that would have a, that would sort of lend itself to suggesting that Phil Davis might only believe he has one more year left uh, in his career. So hopefully he gets to 200 games. But if you read that, the way it reads is that, um, yeah, he this might be his last and final year unless he just goes on a one-by-one-by-one deal that a lot of players do towards the back end of their career. Uh, the Saints have re-signed Irishman, uh, County Kilkenny, Darrell Joyce, and Dean Kent has also recommitted to the Saints. New one-year deals. Uh, Joyce was a Category B rookie at the end of 2016. He debuted against Melbourne in Round 15, 2018. He's played 10 games for the Saints. Kent came from Melbourne um, at six years there. 63 games, 35 games for the Saints uh, since round one in 2019. We spoke a little of WBBL a little earlier. Melbourne Renegades vice-captain Georgia Warren will miss the rest of the WBBL season, uh, rupturing the ACL in her left knee. 22 years of age, fell awkwardly in the match against Hobart. uh, Sorry, in Hobart against the Strikers. So uh, disappointing for her with the Renegades at one and one. Um, This was interesting from Tom Mitchell, who was doorstop today uh, out and about. I don't think it was messy. It was probably perceived to be messy from the outside, but, you know, at no point were any of us leaving. So it was just um, outside noise and fake news, really. Fake news, outside noise. Uh, That's from Tom Mitchell, Hawks Brownlow medalist, in regards to the Hawks uh, off-season so far and the criticism around that and the conjecture around whether he and Chad Wingard, Jaeger O'Meara, Jack Gunston, Luke Bruce 
we're actually uh, on the trade table. Um, we might even find some time in the next hour to just bring you a couple of things that Riley Beveridge and Cal Toomey had to say about this year's draft. Uh, Jai Bond from the Oakley Chargers has given a, a, a great rundown on Nick Dacos and Sam Darcy. Uh, and Cal Toomey's given a great comparison between Dacos and Horn Francis as well. But don't go anywhere the next hour. You don't want to miss... Warwick Giddy's going to join us after son Josh debuted in the NBA today for OKC. And Darren Chuck Berry will be my partner in crime for the T20 World Cup. We'll preview that with him after 7.30. Stick around. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.